Welcome to The Conscious Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Alex Raymond. This is the only podcast that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. Now, I know that being an entrepreneur is a long journey and it can be really tough. So on this show, we won't be sharing generic hero stories or talking about mythical unicorns. Instead, we'll get straight to the heart of what matters most, giving you tools and resources to grow, thrive, and succeed as an entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with incredible founders, CEOs, coaches, and authors to help you be more resilient and inspired as you build the business of your dreams. When it comes to entrepreneurship, nothing is as important as recruiting and keeping your team. In today's episode, I talk with Kendra Prospero, founder and CEO of Turning the Corner, an HR consulting company that helps transform workplace culture to retain top talent increase productivity, and build confident leaders. Kendra shares how to build an amazing company that is aligned with the needs and goals of your employees, how to bring meaning and purpose to work, and how to maximize community for everyone's benefit. We also talk in detail about her inspiring founder story and the support she received along the way. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. Kendra Prospero, thanks for being here. Great to see you on the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. It's great to be here, Alex. Thank you. So there's so much going on in 2024 as it relates to uh, the world of work. Specifically, relationships have changed between employees and employers. There's been so much flux in this area over the years and so much change in what is already a very dynamic market. And that can be very confusing for a lot of people who are in it. And I know that you have spent a lot of time thinking about this, working with your clients on, you know, what does the future of work look like? And you have some specific views, particularly around the people revolution that is happening and that you are advocating out there. Tell us what does the people revolution mean and what's going on in 2024? So we work with companies all over the country and work specifically with leaders, helping them create a culture where people are thriving. And we've been doing this now for over 13 years. And um, <clears throat> a few years ago, I started to see this trend where people were starting to exit over reasons that were just unusual. They weren't leaving because of money or leaving even because of advancement opportunities. They were leaving because they didn't like the leader. They didn't like their team. They didn't like that they couldn't that they didn't have the flexibility and autonomy, that they didn't have um, access to good career pathing and access to meaning and purpose. And I was like, okay, wait a minute, these don't cost any money. Why aren't we doing this as leaders? Mm-hmm. And in 2015, I predicted from a stage actually, which was a bit of a bold move, but I predicted that there would come a time in the future where people were no longer going to tolerate for companies that didn't treat them well. And I called it the people revolution. And I actually said, not these exact words, but close to these words, I said, there will come a time when there will be a great resignation soon, 2015. Mm-hmm. And sure mm-hmm. enough, you know, COVID hit and it accelerated it. But now it is here. This people revolution is here and that people are no longer going to tolerate working for companies that don't treat them well and don't give them those things I just mentioned. And McKinsey just dropped their latest uh, status or their latest report on what caused people to leave a job in the last quarter. And it was every one of those reasons. And so that the was... Only one that, 
Okay. That was flexibility, autonomy, uh, meaning purpose. and purpose. Transparent and open leadership. Okay. Um, being able to bring their whole selves to the to their job, not having to hide anymore behind the fact that work and life have to be separated. They want to be able to just be able to say, hey, I'm going to go pick up my kid from the bus stop or I got to take my dog to the vet. Like They're not going to hide anymore. They're going to bring their whole self to the work, whether the leaders want to hear it or not. <laughs> yeah, to, to your point, this is happening. And if a leader recognizes it, then he or she can do something about it. If they're not recognizing it, then it's setting them up for some type of crisis or failure in the future, or they simply can't recruit, build the best teams, be an employer of choice anymore. Absolutely. That's the reason that this is so important that people, leaders start to hear it and, and, and adapt. And the reason I call it a revolution is that there've been lots and lots of revolutions over the years that we adapted to. You know, we don't do work by candlelight anymore. You know, we adapted and, and we don't slap a stamp on a piece of mail and wait to hear back from a customer, right? Like we are, we are adapted. We have websites and computers and all that now, right? But there were, there was fear among those revolutions in the beginning of those phases. People are fearful now about this revolution, but I just say, and I help leaders understand like, this is just adapting. We just have to adapt. We have to change the way we lead. And we, we can no longer just have this command and control, I'm paying you, so do what I say, kind of environment. People are not going to stay in those types of companies. They will leave and they will come to our companies, right? Because we're creating those environments. I have no, no issues and never have struggled with hiring because I, people want to come work for me. They hear the reputation of my company and they want to come work for me. So, which is awesome. I want that for all the leaders out there. I don't want them to struggle. I don't want them to lose great talent for reasons they had control over. I want them to be able to have an environment where they have ease, ease of leadership. They have the team that they can count on um, to help them weather the ups and downs of being a founder and an entrepreneur. Like it's hard, but when you have a team, it's not hard. There's ease. But if you lose people because you're, you've got this expectation around culture that isn't no longer, is no longer going to serve your people, then you're not going to have that ease. So let's jump into uh, what you just said about turning the corner. So your company is obviously on the forefront of this and understanding what's going on and what's going on in people's minds. And you just mentioned yourself that you don't have trouble hiring because people have heard about your company and the work that you're doing and, and your reputation. What are the specific things that you as the leader, you as the uh, founder of this company are doing to enhance the culture, to make sure that people see, feel seen, respected, that their mission and values align with what you're doing and all those other elements that you just mentioned? What are you doing really specifically and tactically to make sure that, that comes to light? There's a variety of things. And I, I tell this to the companies we work with too. Like there's a, just a lot of little things that you can choose to do that can make a big difference. As I say often like baby steps are big steps actually with culture. So I'll list out a few things that we do. First and foremost, it starts with me, Alex. Like I got to get the head trash cleared out. And we all have that, you know, my, that head trash, right? The stuff that causes us to hold back, makes us feel like we can't trust people or we can't, you know, we have to do this like, you know, massive work around something because, you know, nobody else can do it better than me. Like that's head trash. And so I have spent my journey really clearing that out. 
Like I work really hard to make sure that I don't have that because I mean, it comes down and this, I learned that this at the constant entrepreneur summit this last, um, last month or last couple months ago. Um, I learned, this sounds really strange, but I learned that I love myself a lot and I don't like being in situations where I'm uncomfortable because I love myself. I don't want to do that. And so I don't want to be in a situation where I'm waking up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night thinking I can't do something with my team. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to me. And so I've worked super hard to first and foremost really become a, a phenomenal leader, the best leader I can possibly be. And you can't see this behind me, but my mantra, I have a sign back there that says, I am not the leader you need me to be a year from now, but I will grow. Mm-hmm. And that's how all leaders, I think, need to think is, is, you know, we are not the leaders that our companies need a year from now, but as long as we're committed to growing and continuing to clear out that head trash, we're going to get there. And so I absolutely know it starts with me. That's first and foremost. The second thing, though, is we do do a pulse survey with a team. Um, and it comes in a variety of formats. One, it's, it's consistent one-on-ones, having conversations with our staff to say, how are you feeling? What do you need? What keeps you here? What makes you think you might leave? We call them stay interviews. This kind of become a more of a mainstream turn now, but we're pretty deliberate about that. And, you know, for myself and my leadership team, we're, we're really keeping our finger on the pulse about how people are feeling. And then we address it. So last year, we ended up doing a pretty big employee engagement survey and out of it realized, even me, the work I do every day, there was opportunity for growth, for sure. We needed a better onboarding plan. And so we spent the entire 2023 really building out this pretty amazing onboarding program to address that. Great. Okay. So the team sees that we're acting on it, right? That's really important. So that's another thing that's important, those stay interviews and then actually taking action on it. Mm-hmm. And then another thing we do is, I, and this is something that, I mean, good Lord, I get pushback on, but not for my team, just from other leaders who are like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> but we, I, we do what we call flexible eyes, which means nothing stays is stuck in stone. Nothing is, is cast in concrete at all. We flexibilize. So for example, I have a very diverse team. I have representation from both male and female, from all different um, age groups, from different backgrounds, different marital statuses, veteran status, disability, you name it. Like that to me is the definition of diversity, different races, different religious backgrounds, all of it. And what that does is it causes me, first of all, to have to really stay flexible, flexibilized. By the way, I know that's not a real word, but I made it up and I did buy the domain name just in case. It's (laughs) a great word. It's a great word. And I'm sure it'll make a great .com someday for when you write a book. <laughs> but um so for example like so I have a baby a couple baby boomers on my team. Baby boomers don't really need our healthcare benefits, right? They don't they're on Medicare and it's awesome. And so they're like, "Well, I mean, thanks for offering benefits, but I don't need that. I want more vacation time." Okay. Why not? Right? Why can't I say that total comp is salary plus vacation plus for benefits plus medical, you know, healthcare benefits, all that to add up to total comp. And then I can play with what's in the middle there. Fair and equal don't have to come together the same when it comes to creating, you know, your culture. So give the baby boomers more vacation in lieu of the medical benefits. Now, you know, our Gen Xers, you know, they're right now in the thick of kind of the sandwich generation. So they need a lot of benefits. And not as much necessarily like vacation time over, you know, over the length of time. But what they really need is flexible schedules. 
right? They're dealing with parents and kids and blah, right? So why does a 40-hour work week have to be Monday through Friday, eight to five? Why? I don't think it needs to be. Like I get bursts of energy sometimes on Sunday morning. I'm going to work on Sunday morning. If my staff gets that same burst of energy and wants to do that, why do I care when they're doing the work, right? I sometimes get bursts of energy at three in the morning. It's probably not very good for my mental health, but you know, right? And so, so they need a more flexible schedule. Now, our Zoomers, our Gen Z, who are new into the workforce, they, they need help. They don't need a 401k. They need help paying off their college debt. Unless they're in a situation where they're pretty privileged and they're actually able, they maybe don't have that college debt. Cash is the most important thing right now. Not necessarily thinking and playing the long game on retirement. Why does it have to be so rigid that, you know, you offer a 401k plan with a 3% match and that's what you're going to get? Why? Like total comp can be different. And so, so it's like, say, and so that's just a, an example, like a benefits example of flexible time, flexible pay, flexible, flexible benefits. But like, I am constantly doing that in my culture to keep up with the trends and not saying like, it has to always be this way. And I think that's another really important thing for helping leaders address this people revolution is, is not getting, not staying rigid. Like COVID taught us overnight that our rigid policies around being in office were no longer going to serve us. Now they could have, we could have gotten ahead of that many, many years ahead of that. If we had, and leaders had been more open to flexible work earlier. Right. By the way, I've been running Turning the Corner since 2011. And from day one, we've had a completely flexible environment and I've played with all of it. And so, and so we were like, when COVID hit, we're like, okay, no problem. I mean, it, we didn't, gosh, it didn't change a thing for us. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like, sounds like what you're doing is meeting people where they want, where they are and where they want to be. And my guess is that flexibilize uh, is not just a, a compensation strategy for you. It has to do with all different elements of the business, everything within turning the corner. Uh, and it sounds to me very agile, very responsive. Uh, to what's going on. I also want to point out, it takes a lot of guts to do this because there's no playbook for it. So you are presumably writing the playbook for yourself, having to stretch yourself in terms of where you're going and be very clear on your vision. What did you learn about yourself as an entrepreneur as you've been setting up the company, as you've gone through all this, have you, as you've gone through those shifts? You mentioned you've been running Turning the Corner since 2011. What have you learned about yourself as it relates to building this company, setting the culture, and being the leader that you need to be next year? It's been such a journey. I mean, I've definitely learned that, I mean, through the school of hard knocks, I now know finances inside and out. So that's a fundamental one. I mean, whenever business, now, now whenever businesses are struggling with the cash flow crunch or struggling with profitability, you know, I get it. Like we've been there and I, we've luckily solved it. So, but it was, that was really, really stressful when you don't have that cash in the bank and you don't have the cash flow, man, you want to talk about sleepless nights, right? We've, I mean, no entrepreneur, real entrepreneur has not had a cash flow crunch. Like we've all been there and it's super stressful and it's super hard and there's ways to get in front of it, which I'm great. I'm glad. And so, so that's been a very big transformation for me. It's just really getting clear on all that. Um, cause I, my background, Alex, I was a software engineer for IBM. Like I didn't know anything about running a business. And so, <laughs> so that was, you know, some very first, you know, key lessons. But I think one of the most important things that I've learned about myself is, is to recognize a couple of things. Like when you're an entrepreneur, 
you are always, 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 always on a roller coaster. It will be up and it will be down and it will be up and it will be down. You're never going to get off of it unless you go get a regular job. Like you will always be on this roller coaster. And the minute I just accepted that, I felt peace because it's like, okay, some days are going to be great and some days are just going to be awful. All right. The other thing I think I learned, which is inevitable, is there will always be some spoilage. You will always have some customers who are unhappy. You will always have some staff that leaves you and you didn't want them to go. That's just inevitable. And it's so much easier to just embrace it. Now, you don't want a lot of it. Obviously, you wouldn't survive if there's a lot, but there's always going to be a little bit. And if you just accept that, then it changes your perspective. And so for me, one of the things that's really been so amazing, oh my gosh, and I think you'll love this, but I I used to not really think, I used to think of business more as like a, oh, you know, it's a, you know, it's a thing. It's a thing when people go to. I never, ever have said we're family. Like, I'm sorry, but that's BS. You're not family. Right. But what it is, is a community. Mm. And what it made me really realize this was actually a couple of years ago. Um, so here in Colorado, for the folks that are internet, you know, national or international listeners, we had a terrible fire in our area in at the end of 2022, where in just like a regular neighborhood with like Costco and Target nearby, not even near the mountains, the, the a thousand houses burned to the ground. And one of the homes that burned to the ground was of one of my former employees, mm. somebody who we parted ways, you know, on an amicably, but you know, we we weren't to work to, weren't together anymore but we were still in community together. And when I found out that her house burned down, I called her and I said, what do you need? She said, I need cash and I need a place to live. I was like, all right, I'm going to help you. And so at the time there are all these lists floating around of people who had houses for rent and all that. Well, first thing we did is we set up a GoFundMe account for her. We blasted it to our newsletter. We have a pretty big newsletter, like 20, 25,000 people on our newsletter. And Alex, you know who funded this? Mm. Our customers. Wow. Our customers funded it. People who had worked with her in the past. And I was like, what? Holy cow. And the second amazing thing was that as I'm going down this list of trying to find a house for her, I uh, leave a message for people. And then finally this one guy calls me back and, and he says, uh, I have a house, but I wanted to give it to the right family. I'm like, I'm like, well, let me tell you about her. And I told her the story I just told you. And he said, well, what do you do? And I was like, I don't know. I don't want that. This isn't about me. Right. I'm like, well, I help make sure everybody loves their job. (laughs) You know, something really simple. And he said, oh, wait a minute. Is this Kendra Prospero? What? And I was like, what? Yes, it is. And he goes, with turning the corner? And I said, yeah. He goes, I called you guys last week to help me with my resume. <laughs> and I was like, holy cow. Community, right? I've never thought of turning the corner as a community until that moment. But when, I re- when, that, when that dawned on me and I saw like how she's not working for me anymore, but we're still in community... I don't even remember this guy. I probably was one to talk to him, but we're in community, right? And so it changes. That's another big lesson I learned was like, okay, so when someone leaves me, I can just be so happy for them because they're still in my community. When I run into any of my former employees, some people, even I fired, I is the warmest welcome on both sides because we're still in community together. And I just think that that's like the next big wave of leadership too, is like, don't think of this as, as that you want people to stay with you forever and ever and ever. Cause they're not, it's a job. It's a stepping stone in their life, but we just wanted to be a really long stepping stone, like a bridge, right? We want them to be with us a long time, but because mm-hmm. the turnover is extremely expensive, but just to think of them as like, they're exiting out, like everyone that has left 
quit voluntarily in the last couple of years, have moved on to bigger and better jobs, jobs I could never have offered them. How amazing is that? That my company created these executives? Great. Or that what they learned created them to be ready for being an executive? I'm so happy for all my former team. So I would say those are some of my biggest lessons is that, you know, just not, you know, the roller coaster ride, the spoilage is just inevitable. And that, you know, we're still in community. It's a community. And how can we serve a community? Uh, that word is so powerful. It's so, uh, it's so prescient and so meaningful for people in the word community. Uh, it's a big part of what we do at Conscious Entrepreneur is try to create that and, and, and foster it. Uh, you know, I, I just want to react to a couple things when you talk about the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. That's, you know, very much true. And it's, it's essentially what we sign up for. Uh, a lot of people don't, don't realize it's part of what we're signing up for because we think that everything's going to be up and to the right in perpetuity. And it turns out, no, you know, it, the process of building a business has lots of ups and downs. And, um, you know, one of the ways that I always think about this is, being an entrepreneur, for me at least, is not a job, so to speak, as much it is, as it is an identity. And it's an identity to be uh, creative, so to put in creative energy. It's, it's an identity to be able to pursue uh, freedom. It's an identity to be able to work on big, complicated problems. It's a, so, so to me, that's how I, how I tap into that, especially when you know, the ups and downs are, are hitting. As it relates to the concept of spoilage, uh, spoilage, I, I think, is a term for like when groceries are bad and they have to throw them out and, and then put new ones in there. Uh, and of course, there's always going to be stuff that's happening that's not, that's not great or things that we don't necessarily think that we want. Um, and I used to react to those very strongly, right? I'd have a very strong emotional reaction, like, ah, oh, damn, something's happening and get all worked up and 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 uh, lose energy and lose sleep over it and uh what i try to do now is instead use these as moments to remember what can i control and what can't i control and so when something's going bad when something's happening uh is this is this something where i can say oh well you know i didn't do x y or z or this could have happened but i didn't do it or is this something that i can do something about meaning can i put some type of effort in or some type of energy and, and potentially change the outcome here? Or is this simply outside of my control? If it's outside of my control, then what I can control is how I'm reacting, how I'm responding to what's going on. And starting to understand the difference there has been really meaningful to me. It's been a big energy saver. So meaning I, I spend a lot less time worrying about the things that I can't control. And so I want to reinforce that point because you know, one of the things that happens as entrepreneurs, it certainly happened to me, I don't know about you, is, you know, there's so much fusing between my personal world and my business world, right? So, so it's like I become fused with the, with the project, I become fused with my company, as opposed to being able to say, well, there's different elements to it. And I've got many different pursuits and interests and, and ways of being in the world. It's just like really, really easy to personalize. it. So that's something that I have... Uh, definitely worked on in the past and know it to be a big challenge for lots and lots of people. I don't know if you have great uh, tips on how to get through that sense of like, oh, you're Kendra, you're the turning the corner person. Like this is your thing, this, you know, sort of melding of the two together. Yeah, for sure. So actually, I mean, one of one of the things I think I love about the conscious entrepreneur is just that idea of that we can be vulnerable as leaders and be able to share. And so 
I want to share, you know, that 2019 was actually my hardest year. So not 2020, 2019. So I had a bunch of contracts just fall through at the end of October, in October and November of 2020 or 2019 to the tune of like, like a quarter of my revenue, like huge, huge amount. And I was faced with having to do layoffs in at the end of 2019. The hardest thing I've ever done. I had to lay off two thirds of my staff just right, you know, during the holidays, like not it, everything you do not want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had to do it because we were literally out of cash. Like, and I had Ugh. already borrowed against my house. I had no more credit cards I could borrow from. Like it was just grim as could be. So, and then I was like, Oh, 2020 is my year. Right. <laughs> 2020 so, is going to be a great year. <laughs> man. And so anyway, um, so when COVID hit, you know, there were a few months there where it would things deeply slowed down, right? Like it was just different. I mean, I also had more, way more time on my hands cause I wasn't showering and commuting. And so it was just a lot more time to think. And I ended up getting and hiring a coach to help me kind of deal with some of this head trash I had. And I learned this really amazing model called energy leadership model. And really it ties into kind of the latest and greatest science we know now about our brains and that our brains um, we can actually control our thoughts, which is something I never knew I could do. And so this model taught me to be and really aware of different levels of energy that I might be experiencing. The, the lowest level of, and by the way, all these energy levels serve you at different times. It's not that they're right or wrong or good or bad. It's just, is the energy serving you? And, and so like one of the levels is, is the first level is victim. Like when you get into a situation, you're like, oh, this always happens to me, right? That's a victim energy. And it, and it doesn't help you. What actually happens is your brain is now flooding your brain. It's getting flooded by cortisol. Cortisol is a very bad hormone for, you know, sustain for sustaining your, your livelihood. Great. If you need to like kind of hunker up and get some support, but not long-term yep. um, the second level of energy, letter, um, energy is, is anger and just frustration. Um, now you have cortisol and adrenaline. It's a little bit more charged, but still not always the best, not, not always the best answer to every situation. The third level then is around um, just kind of acquiescing, just like, ah, it is what it is. It's good enough. I'm going to make lemons out of lemonade. That's like, it's okay, but you can feel like, I think it could be better. And I was living in a lot of that level three energy, just like, eh, I'll make the most, you know, I'll do my best here. But when I hired this coach, she helped me see that I really would be thriving and doing better if I hit some of these higher levels. Level four now starts to get into this place where now you have a little bit of dopamine, a tiny, tiny little bit of serotonin, you know, more happy, positive hormones, which is the fourth level is how can I serve you? What can I do for you? So now the negative side of that is that you can burn out really fast if you're not you know, re getting support back and you'll drop into level one victim energy. Right. And so I, and so how can, how can I, what can I do to make this person feel better? Is like kind of the question you ask to elevate yourself from like a level three to a level four. And then level five is where's the opportunity in this? Like, hmm, how can I make it a win-win or a win-win-win? So what is the win for the other person? What's the win for me? What's the win for the business? Whatever that might be. Now you have oxytocin and you've got all, I mean, you're just getting flooded with all the really, really good hormones. Cortisol is like very, very little now. So she really encouraged me and helped me get to that place of like, how can I live in a little bit more level five? And like you said, sort of blend these things together, but really going beyond that even like not just, you know, saying, well, I'm going to do my best. No, no, there's going to be opportunity here. 
And Alex, it's completely changed our business. Matter of fact, I hired her. She now works for me. So we have a whole training and coaching program around this because it made such a difference in my life. Like my kids thought I was on drugs for a little while because they were like, who, who are you mom? Right. Cause I was suddenly so at peace and happy and like silly and goofy and the things that showed my family that I was, I was doing well. And, and it's, it's sustained, you know, here we are a couple of years later now, and I'm still in that state of like looking for the opportunity. So now, and again, I'm coming back to that, you know, that roller coaster, whether I'm up or down, I'm looking for the opportunity. Now I have to force my brain to do that because my initial reaction might be, you know, a victim or yeah, it is what it is, right? That, cause that's what my tendency is, but I'm actually retraining my brain to just look for the opportunity to the tune now where I can do it pretty quickly. Like something will go wrong. And I, you know, within a couple of seconds, I'm now, oh, well, something good is going to come, probably come out of this. And so, by the way, there's two more levels of energy, but I find level five is like the most best one for business for entrepreneurs. Level six is like, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't really even have any idea what's going to go on here, but whatever happens is going to be great. And then level seven is like, like, you know, you don't barely, you barely get there and you can't sustain it, but it's really like this sort of, you know, um, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of need, you know, basically I can't think of the word now, but self-actualization. So anyway, but it's hard to, it's hard to sustain. So, but that really, really helped me do kind of what you just said in terms of really integrating in, um, what happens as entrepreneurs. Block your calendars for June 4th and 5th for the 2024 Conscious Entrepreneur Summit. Coming back to Boulder, Colorado, and now in its third year, the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit is the only in-person event that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. This is not your normal startup or leadership conference. We won't be talking about how to build a business plan, how to market or sell your product, or how to raise money. We also won't be talking about Bitcoin or AI. What we will talk about, though, are topics that are absolutely critical for you along your journey as an entrepreneur. Things like overcoming imposter syndrome, avoiding burnout, building resilience, and taking responsibility in your life. It's going to be a fantastic two days, and I would love for you to join us in June. Check out our website, which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us for more information. This is, this is so cool uh, because one of the things that, that I talk about a lot is if you change your inner landscape, your outer landscape will change to reflect that. Okay. Uh, now, it's easy to say and it's hard to do. And, and as you just pointed out, it takes a lot of work. You might need a coach. You might need uh, other therapies or support or modalities or what have you. You need to change the default mode that you're operating with. At least that, that's been the case for, for, for me. But what you're talking about here is becoming more aware of your thoughts, your default behaviors, your kind of automatic, you know, go-to places. And you and and you identified, well, hey, I might be doing this from a point of acquiescing to something, or I might be stuck in victim mentality and, you know, woe is me and isn't life hard and this always happens to me. Those are the kind of the stories that exist in in victim mentality. The world is against me. And the progression sound kind of sounds like uh, a tool I'm familiar with, which is the map of consciousness by David Hawkins, where he talks about different energies and, and how those uh, manifest in the world. Um, but, you know, what you're really talking about here is how quickly can you understand what's happening, label what's happening, and then make a shift or a change of some kind? Because it may not be automatic, especially at the beginning. Right, my default could be I'm stuck here. Oh, woe is me! Or my default might be I get angry 
for example, or something like that. But what you've learned, and I want to hear more about how you implement this on a day-to-day basis, is to to notice, to label, and then to shift. Is that, you know, at least that's what I'm hearing you say. Is that the process or how do you actually do this on a day-to-day basis? Like, let's say you get a phone call, something terrible happened, you some upset customer or somebody's threatening to leave the team or whatever it is, how do you then go through that process when something's happening, like in the moment? So we call it the T model, T-E-A, like, you know, like the tea that you drink, but it's thoughts, emotions, actions is how I think about it. So you can't really control, you can't necessarily stop the thought, but what you can do is you can intercept it and flip it on its side a little bit. So I'm super conscious now of that those seven levels, right? Like what, what is my first reaction to whatever this thing is that just happened? Again, like none of them are right or wrong or good or bad. It's just, it's, we call it like a lens. Like right now, you know, I, I I might put on readers, right? But I don't need readers right now because I don't, I'm not in that situation of reading. I wouldn't make sense to put sunglasses on right now, right? Because it's just would be weird, right? But they're not right or wrong. It's just when it, what's the situation and is it serving you? And so, cause there's a time and a place to be a victim. There's for sure. Like the advantage of being a, vi- a victim is that you get help. People want to rally around you when you're grieving, when you're going through something super tough, when you're struggling, like that's what you need. It's just, is it all the time? Cause it's not, you don't need it all the time. And so, um, so I'm just aware. So like, especially when something goes good or bad, like I just check in, I'm like, Oh, look, okay. My first reaction to that is crap. Here we go again. This always, Oh wait. Okay. Thought. Okay. Nope. How can I turn this into a win-win is the first question I ask myself. And I can go from one to five like that with that question. How can I turn this into the win-win or what's the opportunity here? This, this last summer I had, you know, one of those really awful things happen with as leaders, which is I had one of my very best, most favorite employees tell me that he was leaving out of the blue. I had no say in the matter. Like I'm the kind of leader that loves to help people grow into their next role. I've helped so many people like take a path to out path out of TTC. And he just out of the blue did, told me he was leaving. And Alex, I was just like devastated mm-hmm. for a while. And, but the, uh, but I got my mind going, okay, there's going to be an opportunity here. Like I know that there's an opportunity here. And sure enough, it has turned out to be one of the best things that could have happened to us. I mean, I think tw- our, this 2024 is going to be the best year we've ever had because once he left, I opened up and it freed me to start seeing like all the holes and the things he'd been doing that we can improve on. And I think now, I mean, the entire team, we're all so excited for 2024 because he left, honestly. And if, do I miss him? Yes, absolutely. But we're still in community together. But it was really, really hard. And when he first told me, I mean, honestly, I cried. Like I was bawling my eyes out because I was going to miss him so much because he's my friend also. and um, but I could say I think there's going to be an opportunity here somewhere. So that's what I would encourage you is like when you're experiencing an emotion and you can say, is this appropriate right now? No. Ask these questions. Say, how can I, how can I at least make the most of this situation? That's level three. How can I serve the other person? That's a level four. How can I make this a win-win? That's level five. Those are the three questions you can immediately ask yourself to elevate you. But it takes a little bit of time because the brain what we know now about the brain just in the last few years, because of all the functional MRIs and just all the science has come out, the brain is very, has, is very malleable. It is not fixed. We do, we do not need to have a fixed mindset. It, a growth mindset is actually what our brain really wants. But so the first time you do it, you create this little tiny neural pathway between your amygdala, which is your reptile brain, 
to your prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking brain. This little tiny, tiny path of consciousness that you're going to make around like your amygdala wants you to feel sad and fear, angry and fearful and disgusted, maybe a tiny bit of joy, but mostly has those four really negative emotions. And so, but when you create that neural pathway, now it's a tiny little like, you know, path in the jungle, so to speak. If you don't keep working on it, it's going to get overgrown again. But the minute you do it and then you do it again and you do it again, now you actually have a path and it's super easy and fast. Wow. Very cool. Are you still working with the same coach or what else, what else do you do for coach support these days? Um, so she, now that she works for me, works for turning the corner, like I get her every day and it's the most amazing thing. <laughs> and so, and we've become really, really good friends as well. But, um, and so she's been a huge help and yes, I do. I have a coach as well. Um, and, and also I am, I'm a member of an amazing entrepreneurial community called Colorado Thought Leaders Forum that Mm -hmm. is, continues to just, you know, reinforce these, this, uh, pathway as well as many, many other things. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, I spent a lot of money on myself to get myself to be the the leader I need to be a year from now. (laughs) It's the, it's the best investment you'll ever make is investing in yourself. I want to transition a little bit back to something you mentioned earlier, which is, uh, a, an inflection point or to transition that many, many entrepreneurs go through, have to go through, uh, usually not something we choose to go through, which is firing someone. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned before, sometimes people leave voluntarily, sometimes people leave involuntarily. Uh, for entrepreneurs, understanding when, how, and why to fire someone is a really critical decision point. It's something that uh, keeps us up at night. It's not easy. Uh, typically makes us question, why did I hire this person in the first place? Maybe if I, maybe if I keep them around for another three months, things will get better. Uh, maybe things will improve. Um, maybe the, you know, all the reasons why not to fire someone. Walk us through how an entrepreneur can start to deal with this. What kind of framework can one have to decide on this type of topic? And then actually go through with it in a way that's uh, respectful, reasonable, as much of a win-win opportunity creation as possible. What are the tips that you would give? Mm-hmm. Well, I was a little a little cynical of this when I started turning the corner, but it actually comes down to being really clear on your values. And I don't mean values of like what looks great on a wall. Matter of fact, that's the worst kind of value. It's like you're re- like really. Really? What what do you expect from your employees? Like, what do you really want from your employees? Not this, just not what your customers are going to like, none of that. So, but what do you really expect? And for me, when I got clear on that, uh, and what I did is I, I asked myself the question, you know, what do I really want from my employees? How do I, how do I know I have this? What's the behavior that they're going to display? If I have this, what does this do for me? And how does it make me feel? And it's messy. It's a messy paragraph. But usually there's like five, four or five, six things that are really critical to you as a leader. When you do that activity of what I just said, out of that, you're going to start seeing your words repeated over and over and over. And those words really are core to like what's super important to you. And so I took that messy paragraph, those messy paragraphs back to my team. At that time, I think I had five or six employees. And I said, all right, this, you know, I want to get clearer on our values because I want to be able to hire for them and fire for them and manage and train and govern, promote, compensate, all those other things. But, and so we took that messy paragraph and and they helped now co-create. So there's a little bit more buy-in, helped us co-create what the thing is that we really talk about as our values. 
And oh my gosh, Alex, once we got to that, like that, that, those top six things, we are hiring and firing against them. And it makes, it doesn't, it makes it so the tough decisions aren't, they're not tough. It's easy. You can look, I mean, every employee I have lost voluntarily or involuntarily, I can tie back to a value that was not being met. And so like one of our values is results beyond expectations. And 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 like I've had to let people go because they weren't seeing that they uh, those results need to happen like results for the customer results for the team. Um, another one of our values is no jerks, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I've had to let people go because they were acting like a jerk. Mm. Um, customers as well. Um, another value of ours is we love our jobs and it's contagious. Well, people who've left me, they've left because they've reached that point where like they don't love it anymore. My whole brand is around loving your job. Like, of course you got to love your job at turning the corner. And so, and, and we, we, and so it's like the guy I told you about earlier that I left during the, in the summer, like he reached a point where it wasn't, it wasn't exciting for him anymore. Okay. I don't want him on the team if that's the case, really. Um, another one of our values is family first. What that means is like, there's a ton of flexibility. Like, I mean, right now I have no idea where anybody is on my team. And I don't care. I'm totally fine with it. Flexibility, right? We talked about that earlier. And so one of the gals that joined us um, over the summer, or no, no, sorry, in the spring, we hired her. We went through the whole process. Well, thought we had a really good hire. Well, day one, she's like, so what do I do at 8 a.m.? And I'm like, I don't know. Eat, uh, shower. I mean, I don't know. She's like, what do you do? What do I do at nine? And I'm like, oh, you need that level of structure. Okay. That's not who we are. We're not, I, I don't even know how to do that for people. So I said, you know, so I said to her, I said, if you need that much structure, we might not be a fit. And she's, I said, but if you think you can live with that, you know, you can create that calendar for yourself. We'd love to still have you on the team. Sure enough, the next day she called me. She's like, I don't think I'm a fit. She opted out two wow. days. She wow. lasted. Right. Do you know how expensive that was for me? Didn't cost me anything. 80 bucks. Right. What if I had hung on to her for months? Oh. I was paying her over a hundred thousand a year, like $25,000. I could have wasted in trying to coach her to not need structure. Doesn't make sense. Right. And so, so I think for entrepreneurs, like getting clear on like, what do you really expect and get real with it? Do not make up this BS around integrity is one of our values. Is it, is it? Cause if it is, then you'll be really clear on if you've got behavior that's got integrity with it or not. So, you know, I side question those, like, you know, those values that just look again, great on a wall, but, um, and then you want to hire for it and fire for it. Now we have really curated questions we ask to make sure people are aligning with the values and that's asked in every interview and we're refining it. Obviously we missed it with this gal that came in the spring, but, um, and so, but you don't want to hang on to people that aren't aligning with your values because as I mentioned at the very beginning, like one of the most important things people need right now to in a company culture is real, authentic leaders, real, authentic leaders. And so when you get real around your values and you hire for them, they know what to expect. But if you're not real with that and you hire them for something and you're actually acting differently, they're going to exit out or they're going to be a pain in the butt to manage. And so once you get to the point where you realize, okay, I've got to fire this person, walk me through, coach me through the conversation. How does that, how does that go? So ideally you would have, you know, some, there'd be some history here and some time where you'd be, you would be making sure you really have done all you can. So 
first and foremost, you want to make sure you have really thoroughly trained someone and you've given them all that they need in terms of onboarding them and making sure they're set up for success. If you feel like you have done all that and they're still not performing or they're still not fitting, I would say to them, hey, you know, I've noticed that this, this particular thing is not, you know, you're not doing it the way that we really need you to do it. For example, um, is this something you feel like you can modify and you can change? Can you be better at this? Because if you can, then that's awesome. But if you can't, I'm not sure we're a fit for each other. So can we, can we kind of monitor this over the next week or two weeks and see how it feels for you? You really become conscious of it. I'm here to help coach and guide you for the next two weeks. And then if, but if in two weeks we decide that it isn't, you know, there's not progress being made, I will help you figure out what's next for you. So that would be one approach to the conversation. Now that's with somebody who you think is actually coachable and trainable. If you see that there's an absolute misalignment of values, like in the case of my gal that was here in the spring, like there was nothing I could do to create more structure for her. She, and, and she needed that. Like she, it became clear to her that that's a really important thing. It made so much sense to say, I can never, I will never be able to give you the structure that you need. I'm not sure where the fit for you. I'm the right fit. I'm afraid you're going to be miserable here. Right? It's such a more gentle conversation than you're out of here. I fire you, right? Like I, I just knew I wasn't a fit. And so she opted out. And so that's another approach is just being really honest about the, the situation and be able to say like, I don't know if we're a fit for each other, but what do you think? And so, but the worst thing you can do is yell and scream and be mad and, you know, go into victimhood and all that stuff like that. You've just lost your dignity when you've done that as a leader. And if you've made someone else feel like crap, you've lost your dignity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is there any different approach if instead of firing one individual, you're having to, you, you mentioned before, you know, sometimes in the ups and downs of entrepreneur world, you got to contract and maybe let go of some portion of the team. If you're going through that process, is there any difference in approach or communication? Oh, sure. Yeah. Layoffs are the worst. I mean, I think I do, do not do it in a group setting. Oh my gosh. The things, you know, the things we see right now in the media doing mass exits over uh, or mass layoffs over the you know phone or over zoom. Oh my gosh. Give me a break. Um, you call people and you say, I'm so sorry that I have to have this conversation with you. We have completely messed up. Uh, we've lost sight of, you know, what we, what we needed to do financially. I messed up. I own it, but I'm afraid that you're a victim of this. I have to let you go because we can't afford to keep you here. But here's, if you can, but here's what we want to do to help you. We want to help you. We're going to pay for outplacement services. That's where you pay somebody like me to help rewrite a resume and coach and help them get their job search um, started and accelerated if you can afford it. Um, you might also say, you know, here's a severance package. We want you to have, you know, a couple months here of, of time to really do a good job search and get your feet under you if you can afford it. Like when I did my layoff, I mean, I was literally completely broke. I had to actually cash in some stock to pay one of my my employees off or pay my, one of my employees a severance package because like there's no way I could let him go without giving him something. He's a single dad. I mean, it was just like, Ugh. anyway. Um, but um, so if you can, severance packages and an outplacement package are wonderful. And having a lot of dignity and grace at the end here because your alumni of your of your company, the people that have left your company, or someday might be an employee again. Like you're still in community with them. Treat them well. Be proud of how you let them go because um, you're going to run into them again. 
and mm-hmm. they're going to talk about you. And the way that they talk about you is going to be pretty critical. So you want to do it with as much grace as possible. One of the gals I laid off during that period, she actually boomeranged back this year and worked as a contractor for us for a little while. Um, another wow. one that, um, I mean, I've, the guy I laid off that just mentioned, like I still talk to him. We're still in community together. So, you know, it's, it's, it's makes, makes it a lot easier when you've treated them with a lot of grace and dignity. Great. Great. Thank you. Those are all really important, uh, uh, transitions and, and things that, that happen that entrepreneurs usually stress out a lot about. And so having some coaching and guidance on that can be, can be helpful. So CTLF, Colorado Thought Leadership Forum. Um, I know that you've been deeply involved with them. I know from a previous conversation we had that they were very, uh, supportive of you at a time when you needed it. Can you share more about how you've been involved with that community and what you've gotten out of it? Yeah. Definitely one of the most remarkable things that's ever happened to me. Um, so the sad story with this is that in 2016, I had did, had, had two things happen to me. The beginning of the year was our, it was our five-year anniversary. And I don't know about you, but most entrepreneurs think five years is like the, the, the big threshold. And so I thought I made it five years. Like now you know, we're here and I made a bunch of really risky, stupid decisions. So um, at the beginning of the year, I hired a couple people we really couldn't afford just thinking like, ah, I'll be fine. I w- moved us into a, an office with a five-year term that we really couldn't afford and a couple other things like that. And anyway, by April of that year, like I was looking at our cash flow projection and I was like, oh crap, we're going to be out of money here. And so I cash flow crunch, right? And so I started hustling like crazy to just bring business in. So I do a lot of speaking and I just was doing, I was getting on any stage I could get on to try to bring, drum up leads. And then in July of that year, I found my only brother dead of a heroin overdose. Oh. Life, right? And suddenly I was like, oh, you know, I mean, I had obviously like, he was my best friend. Like, you know, it was awful. And so, um, I had to leave, right. I had to leave the business and I kept, I I did have, I remember having a thought like, I'm going to lose my business and I'm going to, and I lost my brother. Mm. But, um, my team said, no, no, I go grieve. I think we're okay. And I started that, you know, started basically just grieving and I did not come back for six months. But when I walked back in the door, they were like, are you ready to hustle? Because we're out of leads. And I was like, yeah, I think I can start hustling. Well, in the meantime, I had joined this group, Colorado Thought Leaders Forum. And it's a, you pay to play. So I was supposed to write a $10,000 check to be on the, on this on part of this group. Well, at this point, I'm like, I'm not, I can't spend any money. Like we're broke. I got to hustle, like got to, you know, focus all my energies. And so I went to the leadership team at CTLF and I said, I, I have to resign from the board. I can't write my check. And she said to me, well, what do you need? And I said, I don't know. Like, what do you even mean? Like, I need cash. <laughs> and she said, all right, what are you doing on Tuesday or whatever? And I said, whatever you want me to do. And, and Alex, she and seven other CEOs showed up at my office and sat down and said, how can we serve you? Mm, and wow. I said, I need leads. I need leads. And they started throwing leads at me. By the end of the day, I had 35 leads, hot leads. Mm. I mean, 2017 ended up being one of our best years because this community rallied around me. I was strangers to every one of them. I did never even met most of them. One guy even paid to have my sales guy trained. He paid for it, wrote a check to a sales training. I mean, who does that? Right. It was unbelievable. 
unbelievable. And that community, what I've seen now, after now, I mean, I'm all in with this. Like, I'll do anything for CTLF. Matter of fact, the guy who kind of started it, I joke with him that I owe him a cornea, a lung, or a kidney. Just one, <laughs> hopefully. But like, <laughs> you know, like I'll do anything for them. Well, and, they, were, um, they were there for you in, in you know, this time of, of grief. So you had this terrible tragedy happen to you. You took time out to look after yourself. You were not involved in the business. You come back to the business. The team is there and ready to support you, but leads have dried up and there's nothing there. This is a great example of a local group of talented and spirited entrepreneurs rallying around one of their own to say, how do we get you through this? That's such a tremendous gift that they gave you. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so, and, and, and that's how this, I mean, this is, this community has been there now. We've been there for each other now all these years. So when COVID hit, a couple of the CEOs that are a part of the board, um, one is in catering, the other one's in events, conferences. Of course, when COVID hit, like everything dried up like that overnight. We rallied around them. How can we serve you? Let's start brainstorming. Let's figure this out. I mean, and when when we started hearing rumors about the PPP loans, like we all had different bankers and we're going to the bankers, like, what do we need to get ready for? I mean, we were all so ready for the PPP that every one of us, when the PPP money opened up on Sunday of that, you know, of April or whatever, we all had our money by Thursday because every one of us had pre-established banking relationships, but we were rallying around each other and every one of those companies survived and are thriving. Actually, it's amazing. It means the catering company is just kicking butt and same with the AV company. Like they, we, they weathered it. And if you ask them, those leaders, they'll say it was a big reason why it was because of the CTLF community, just being there for them and helping them weather this. Wow. That's a, that's, that's a really powerful example. And, you know, we were really excited to work with CTLF at Conscious Entrepreneur and so hope to do so in their new uh, configuration as well. So really, really appreciate uh, that, that group. Let me ask you about a little bit about go deeper into your background. So you were a software engineer at IBM and then you were at Rico. What was going on in your life? Uh, that you said, I'm going to leave, you know, big, fancy, cushy corporate roles and go do something on my own. What was that transition like? How did you get to the point where you realized that you wanted to make uh, that change? Uh, how did it go in your internal and external world? Meaning what were, what were people's reactions to you? Tell, walk us through that story. Well, it turns out that I've actually been really curious about the work people do and why since I was a little girl. Um, my parents told me a story about how, and I have a vague memory of it too, of like how I would walk up to all the grownups in their, in their lives. And I was always asking them like, what do you do? Why do you do it? You know, I created a lot of very uncomfortable situations because my dad was a leader and I often was talking with his colleagues and I'm like, do you love your job? And they're like, no kid, I don't love your job, but don't tell me that. <laughs> right. And it was like, <laughs> and so, um, and so when I, when I, I, it was a kind of a crooked journey to how I got to c computer information systems, but I was, I was meant to, I was spent most of my childhood actually on the stage performing I'm a classic trained pianist, dancing stage, anything. And, um, I tried to make it on Broadway for a brief period of time and realized I actually am not that talented. And so I ended up at, uh, at college on a full ride music scholarship, but a couple of weeks into the program, I was like, I'm not going to do this. Like, I'm just not that good. Like, let's be real here. And so um, I wandered around the campus and saw that, you know, what can I, if I have to pay for this now, like I better learn something I know nothing about so that it's, you know, worth the money. 
And at the time, computers were really starting to take off. And so I looked at the computer science program and I thought, I don't really know if I want to do that. But then I stumbled on computer information systems, a business degree with a focus on technology. And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. I've never even turned on a computer. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so you want to talk about struggle. Oh my gosh, I had struggle. But um, I actually graduated with honors. I spoke at my college graduation, like I, I made it. And I had 13 job offers coming out of that out of that wow. situation and went to go work for IBM. Had a you know very interesting run with IBM. But honestly, Alex, like, dude, I'm not wired for programming either. I mean, your listeners, if they made it this far, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> She's a programmer? Because <laughs> I mean, you can just tell, like, that's not my personality not the at first all. Thing, not the first thing that comes to mind when I think of you. No. No, exactly. So, um, so instead, though, what I would do to kind of make it through my miserable days at IBM is I would engage with people in conversations about their job. What do you like to do? What do you do? Like, what's, what do you think you're great at? Oh, you're really good at that. We should we should team up and be on a team together and let's go do this crazy thing. And so I just would, still was still drawn into those conversations like I was in as a kid. And finally, a friend of mine who was also my was actually my first employee at IBM when I was a, became a manager. She says to me, she pulls me aside one day. And she's like, Kendra, you suck at this. You suck at coding. Like, you're really good at this other thing. Why don't you go do this? And so I was like, oh, thanks a lot. And so um, that's, that that's how you know. That was proverbial message from the universe. Yeah. And so um, so that, that exact, about a day later or so, I was talking with another colleague and I was asking him about his job. He said, God, I, I, you know, they have, they're having me do this thing, but if I could just turn the corner and do what I'm meant to do, then I, I feel like I'd be, I'd be happier. IBM would be better off, but of course they're going to keep me in this other job. And I was like, ah, bummer. Sorry. Went, went and, you know, drove away and then, um, listening to the radio, I'm listening and there's an article about Malcolm X, that biography had just come out. And they said, you know, Malcolm X is known as somebody who is, uh, was violent compared to like MLK, but really there was only a nine month period when he was really violent. But nobody ever let him turn the corner and be who he really was. And I was like, huh, huh, okay. All right, universe, I'm paying attention. So I went home, Googled it, found I could buy a domain name. Now I know a lot about technology. I can build my own website even, right? right? <laughs> Woohoo, technical background, <laughs> paying off finally. Um, and I, I, I started this business and I, I filed for the EIN number, all that stuff. And suddenly I was like, oh, I need customers. So I sent an email out to everyone I knew. And you uh, fans, you know, people who who liked me and cared for me, vendors I'd worked with at IBM, and you know, just of our colleagues, all that family. And I said, I think I'm going to do this. And I said, I'm going to want to help people find jobs, and I want to do recruiting and training, and you know, really just help make couple cultures great. And within hours, I had like ten leads, including one with a, a vendor saying, "Hey, can you teach a class on behavioral interviewing in Chicago on Monday?" And I was like, "Sure, okay." <laughs> Now, had you left IBM at that point or were you still in the transitioning out? Okay. I was still transitioning out. Yep. So I went, I was, my boss was on the list. She was very supportive. And um, she said, actually, um, we're about ready to probably lay you off anyway, because your job, your particular job has been eliminated because we were going through this transition. I was like, woohoo, seat bunny. (laughs) So they offered me a job to manage a marketing team. But by then I had the bug and I was like, okay, I think I can do this. So, yeah. So, so it was that luck, was, the, that was the, the transition. That was the move. Uh, well, it's really funny that you heard that phrase: "Turn the corner, turn the corner," and and then you went and and uh, and made it your made it your own. Kendra, as, as we wrap up here, I've got a series of questions I'd love to get your input on. And uh, the first one is: so we, you talked about the coming to an event that of the conscious entrepreneur. You came to the 
Gay Hendricks Unlocking Your Zone of Genius workshop back in in November. Um, and you've now had some exposure to the community. What is your definition of a conscious entrepreneur? Um, I think it's kind of clearing out that head trash and being a, really aware. Um, and just, yeah, and working on it, working on it, not letting it just be that this is how it's always going to be. Your mind is malleable. It's plastic has that plasticity. We can grow, we can change like being and constantly growing and changing is probably what I would say as a conscious entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Always building, always being willing to uh, reflect on what's happening, do the self-improvement, get rid of the head trash. I, I love the, I love the way you call that head trash. I think it's really appropriate. Uh, very true. Most most of these thoughts are trash and just deserve to go in and out. Don't don't spend any time with them. Totally. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned that you had a coach uh, who walked you through the TEA model, the T model. Um, and I know you, you have a, uh, more coaches today, but what do your personal practices look like? So on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, what are you doing for yourself? Yeah. So I have, I got really clear on like what my top three priorities are. And then that's where I spend my time. And so my top three priorities are my family, my business, and my health. And if you look at my calendar, um, that's where my time goes. So I spend my, you know, my balance with my kids and my family. I work on the business and then I work out every day. I get good sleep. I eat well. Um, and I work on my health. And so that's been really helpful for me to just stay focused on that. And when I get off whack and I get out of kilter, I reflect back on which one of those are out of whack and what do I need to do? How can I put some energy into it? And so right now I'm a little out of whack because of the, you know, our situation with um, the guy that I lost over the summer, like we're getting there, we're like really close, but I've been working a lot more than I really want to work. And my family has, and result has suffered a little bit and my health has suffered a little bit. So I'm excited for the 20 for 2024 because it's going to get back on track. <laughs> mm, great, 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 great. Um, and along those lines, what are the, what are the resources that you draw the most in, inspiration from, or what are the, the resources that you most recommend to others? I'm thinking books or videos or podcasts or uh, anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my favorite books that, I mean, I, I read a lot or I, I buy a lot of books and I get about three quarters of the way through them. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, but one book I actually read cover to cover was the energy leadership book. It's by Dr. Bruce Schnelder, I think is his last name. That was a, I read it cover to cover. I dog-eared almost every page. Like it was phenomenal. So I highly recommend that. And that's the thing we talked about earlier with the, with the seven levels of energy. Um, in terms of podcasts, I love the hidden brain, um, in terms of the, the hidden brain for kind of just getting the latest and greatest in the neuroscience research and okay. how, and I always then think about like how that applies to leadership and management and culture, even though oftentimes it's stuff to do with other things, but there's applicability there all the time. And then selfishly, I do really like my podcast too. It's fantastic. I love those conversations. I just get lost in them. I love and your so podcast too. <laughs> We had a yeah. great episode together back in September, September, October. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Good. Well, I mean, this is, it's, it's helpful because, uh, you know, you know, one of the mistakes that, that I make, I'll tell you my, one of the mistakes that I make is assuming that the answers are all inside of me. And, and oftentimes I need to stretch and expand and take ideas, inspiration, 
resources from others in order to up-level myself. So that's why I always ask what resources you recommend. I, I do wind up uh, buying and, and reading through most of the books that people people are suggesting. So thank you for that. Uh, hey, uh, Kendra Prospero, thanks so much for being here on the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. This was a really interesting and powerful conversation around how to orient toward our employees, what to do when time, times get tough, and how to maintain resilience, leadership, and inspiration throughout the entrepreneurial journey. So I'm so glad that you joined us. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. It was great fun, Alex. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. If you're ready to go deeper into working on yourself, check out the upcoming events, articles, and resources on our website, which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us. I'd also really like to thank the team at Hivecast for producing this episode. If you run a podcast and are looking for an awesome full-service production company, make sure to check out Hivecast.